Film Inquiries, the latest. I'm your host, Jesse Nussman. This is a podcast series tackling the latest movie news, latest movie releases. And this week, uh, we got we got a pretty special episode. Got as a guest today, good friend of mine, Jordan Snyder. Hey, Jesse, it's good to be back on the other side of a microphone with you. Yes. uh, If anyone's listened to Jordan, you and I got together when I was doing some other podcast projects, and this is the first time you've ever been on the latest. So welcome. Uh, Glad to be here. Yeah. uh, I brought you in today because today we're going to be talking about Dick Johnson is Dead, uh, an excellent new documentary on Netflix that... um, you know, I figured you would be a great person to talk to because you are not just a fan of the film's director, Kirsten Johnson, um, in particular, her first film she did prior to this camera person, as well as you kind of do like you do video editing as part of your job. And I figured you'd be a great person to talk to to sort of understand kind of her style as a documentary filmmaker and what makes it so emotionally powerful so but before we get to that you know on on the show we gotta we gotta run through the headlines and i gotta (laughs) i just figured this week i would just get some guest reactions about about the headlines this week um i think the biggest one that i've just been dying to talk with people about barry jenkins will be reportedly that that is barry jenkins the oscar winning director of Moonlight and if Beale Street could talk, uh, will be doing Disney's second live action Lion King movie, a sequel to the live action Lion King movie that John Favreau did last year. Um, Jordan, what's what's your just honest reaction to this? Because I I have a very complicated reaction to this that maybe I can get into here in a bit, but just like this news flashes across your your phone on wednesday i think is when we heard about yeah. this what what yeah. what's your what's your gut reaction when you or are you just like did someone make a typo is this real is this <laughs> that's definitely how it felt didn't it but um yeah so immediately i'd say kind of uh deflated immediately but i'm trying to be kind of hakuna matata about it you know um i i'm trying to be not i don't know what's going on in mr jenkins head uh maybe he's got like a it's a passion project for him maybe yeah, totally. he's trying to get some money uh regardless i'm sort of on board with whatever i trust him enough um to believe that he's either got something special in mind because does anyone really want to see a live action lion king sequel i i told my girlfriend after we saw the news um and watched the adorable video that uh lulu wang <laughs> did with yeah. their hey, by the way if you are not following chauncey wang jenkins the the dog that belongs to barry jenkins and his partner lulu wang then uh <laughs> you're truly missing out on some of the greatest internet content but the like video they did with their dog of the like simba being raised to the to the sun uh, yeah, honestly it was worth it for that video alone so we've already yeah. got our money's worth yeah, but I, I turned to my girlfriend. And I was just like, I don't, I don't understand. I mean, I, I think there's a compelling case to be made that the John Favreau Lion King movie is maybe one of the worst movies ever made. In in terms <laughs> of like, is walking out of that movie and feeling like 
you know, I think my review that I gave just like everyone in my life last year who asked what I thought about it was just the the Jeff Goldblum line from Jurassic Park where he's like, you clearly spent <laughs> so much time thinking about how you could that you didn't stop to think about whether or not you should. <laughs> and yeah. um, but I, I'm inclined to sort of I have heard a few rumors that allegedly it is godfather 2-esque in that it'll be running <laughs> dual storylines about a, a father and son's hold over their kingdom um which you know i i i the complicated place where i'm at is what kind of blank check project is he does he have line up that you know what at, as part of what sort of one for me one for you deal is this like what what is disney allowing him to do if he does this yeah i like this little bit of hopeful speculation <laughs> Yeah, or like what you said earlier of what does he have some sort of like incredible Lion King take that he was just dying to to pitch to Disney. I think either one of those is is great and you know, I certainly do not want to besmirch the the idea of like one of our great filmmakers who who is black kind of getting the opportunity to do a a big budget <laughs> blockbuster um i just love barry jenkins movies and so that there was a little like awkward sadness and of just being like oh like he's i i hope he's not this just he's not gonna get just get sucked into this machine and we're gonna miss out on some like really uh, other great work from him because i do think he's one of those filmmakers who's just gonna be making some of the best movies of the next decade um, I yeah. mean, it, it sounds it sounds like he already just wrapped production on this Underground Railroad series, as well as there was all this talk this past week about how um, I don't know if you ever watched the Steven Soderbergh show, The Nick, but that that show might be coming back and Barry Jenkins might actually be sort of taking the reins from Soderbergh and Andre Holland becoming more of the lead of that show instead of um, Clive Owen, as previously was. But so I'm I'm excited for both those projects, but it, it was incredibly weird this week of Barry. I would not have imagined The Lion King two as being the next movie from uh one of I think the more exciting filmmakers. So for sure, but if anyone has earned the benefit of the doubt, I think Barry Jenkins is definitely one of the filmmakers. Oh, a thousand percent. Um, a couple other quick news that <laughs> to just get us through. Um. How how excited are you for Borat too? What are your feelings on Borat? You know, I'm, I'm at this point I'm sort of convinced that we're going to find out at some point that Borat was responsible for infecting Donald Trump with COVID. At this point, I, that just seems like the next logical <laughs> progression. Uh, yeah, uh, I'm I'm cautiously optimistic. I mean, I think i think we'll, we will definitely be covering that movie on the show uh for those who don't know uh there is a borat sequel that has been shot and it will be released by it is Amazon. Yeah. yeah it within the coming weeks like apparently right before the election it will be coming out um you know i think it'll be an interesting movie to talk about because i think revisiting borat which is a movie i've not seen in a while but i think is kind of brilliant from what I remember about it. Um, you know, revisiting that movie in these times and what is Sasha Baron Cohen in 2020, I think is a fascinating conversation that we'll need to have. Uh, I guess the last thing people probably saw from him is he had 
that Showtime series, uh, Who is America? I believe it was called. Right. Um, which mm-hmm. I, I would say was kind of half successful. There were like a couple bits in there that I thought reached that kind of peak level that his comedy can of, I think he creates these sort of absurd scenarios where he catches people off their guard and because they are are sort of do not have their kind of you know defense mechanisms up that and are sort of weirdly comfortable around him they're much more willing to let their more kind of appalling viewpoints and behavior sort of shine through um which i i think for a lot of people was kind of the brilliance of the first person is sort of him kind of pulling this massive prank that sort of exposed a lot of uh uglier aspects of um american culture uh you know how successful this is going to be the second time around i think tbd but i i have been curious to see like what people think because i think the reception to the showtime series he had was a little hit and miss in that there were some bits where i think people thought was brilliant and as well as other sketches he did where i think I, I think there was some serious conversation about is his brand of comedy effective in sort of our modern day sociopolitical climate or, or just modern day kind of media climate, I guess is a better way to phrase that. Yeah. I think his showtime show was definitely like sort of a, a update on his usual shtick of inhabiting these, these characters who are completely outlandish and sort of updating it for the modern, you got to create these viral like sort of videos like the late night right. style where you create something that's short form designed to be really provocative and hilarious and, and go viral. And he had a few of those moments with the Showtime show. So, but going back to Borat and revisiting that character and another feature film uh, format, I don't know if it's going to hold up because it was such a moment in time and it mm-hmm. permeated the culture for years. And still, you, anytime someone says the words, my wife, you're going to immediately have someone go, my wife. I, yeah. I don't think we're ever getting away with that. But I think um, in 2020, it's better to, we're in a, such a different place than we were when Borat came out. Yeah, that, it was like 2006, I believe was when yeah. that came out um yeah i mean i think even just in like you know the idea of kind of what you said like doing these kind of elaborate pranks to sort of get this sort of viral hysterical reaction out of people i mean that's like what half of youtube now so that that's kind of more of what i was going that is like you basically have like millions of people on youtube who are kind of attempting to do the Sasha Baron Cohen shtick, even if they're mm-hmm. not quite doing it to the sort of, um, I don't know, sort of uh, over-the-top bombastic uh, size that he does in some of his projects. But that that idea of the sort of, like, uh, prankster troll getting <laughs> weird reactions out of random people on the street... Um, I don't know. It'll it'll be interesting to see if we are as a culture as sort of charmed and blown away by that as we were. Well, you, you know, I guess like some 
almost 15 years ago, I guess that would have been. So yeah, I, I will say that the the teaser for it worried worried me more than enticed me. So not a great sign as of right now. All right, last little bit I want to bring up to you. Just decided, you know what? Let's make a movie about the making of The Godfather. Now, for anyone who doesn't know The Making of The Godfather, really fascinating kind of behind-the-scenes story there. And Barry Levinson, you know, who directed movies like Rain Man and Wag the Dog and Bugsy, um, he will be doing a film about The Making of The Godfather with Oscar Isaac playing Francis Ford Coppola and Jake Gyllenhaal playing legendary Hollywood producer Bob Evans. Um, I don't, Jordan, I don't know how you feel about movies, about making movies. Josh, our friend Josh Martin and I talked a lot last week about our excitement for Mank, the David Fincher movie about the making of Citizen Kane. Um, I don't, even if this is kind of bad, I'm like really excited by this casting. Like just knowing how ridiculous Gyllenhaal would be. I don't, I don't know <laughs> how familiar with, are you about like the stories about producer Robert Evans? Not that familiar, so uh, um, this one is definitely going to have to win me over. Uh, I will say there is a pretty funny um, documentary now episode. Uh, I'm looking up what it's it's called now, but Bill Hader is basically doing a impersonation of Robert Evans, and <laughs> I think... <laughs> All you really need to know, uh, the the episode, by the way, is called Mr. Runner Up. Uh, so if it go just like look up that documentary now <laughs> uh, episode and what Bill Hader is doing is like it, it is such a highly specific like movie nerd joke that he he's basically doing like a to the T impersonation of Robert Evans. But the the fad the weird push and pull between those two artistic heavyweights um, is, I, I don't know. I'm fascinated to see Oscar Isaac and Jake Gyllenhaal go toe to toe. Cause Robert Evans is a very like cartoonish kind of over the top person um, kind of high on himself and seeing Jake Gyllenhaal play someone like that sounds really fun. And seeing Oscar Isaac playing a sort of like self of self-absorbed, like mad genius director sounds really fun so i'm 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 all for that i just had to uh you know take your temperature and see how how hot you are on it i would say lukewarm to cool but the casting is is fantastic but yeah um behind the camera i'm not super psyched about it so yeah levinson is someone who's more done i think kind of like h direct to hbo movies like he did he's not he's worked a lot with like pacino and de niro for like whenever those guys are like eh, i need an emmy then they'll do like a hbo drama series like i think de niro was in like a bernie madoff one that um wasn't really that good but like you know got a lot of attention due to the people involved in it um so i'll, I'll be fascinated to see how it turns out but you know um exciting to to see those two actors in those two roles i think that's that's some really fun casting right there is what has me excited definitely all right let's move on to talking about dick johnson is dead um you and i both watched this this weekend uh it's a new documentary from kirsten johnson let's first talk a little bit about i know you are a big fan of kirsten johnson's first film camera person um, yes. which came out in 2016 and Kirsten Johnson 
has had a, a, a long storied career of being a documentarian and working on various documentary projects. Um, her camera person is kind of this memoir in a way it 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 is sort of her to kind of taking bits and pieces of all this different documentary work that she's done throughout the years and compiling it into this video collage to say something yeah, like taking the most impactful thing right that she's filmed over her career yeah and making i think this really beautiful kind of kaleidoscopic film that in in some ways kind of tells you so much about a person even though the subjects are not necessarily the person behind the camera if that makes any sense um right why don't we start off by you talking a little bit about like why you love that movie so much and kind of what it is about what she's doing both there and in her new movie dick johnson is dead which is kind of uh you know is is a celebration of her father and a kind of ode to him as he begins to battle dementia and kind of starts sort of winding down his life and her kind of working through her feelings of watching this parent that she loves very much kind of slowly disintegrate and working through these kind of th- these very personal fears of what happens when someone that you love greatly in your life might die soon emotionally both films are kind of they just wallop you i think um so camera person i think i watched it for the first time this year um and it really just grabbed me immediately um it's both this one and dick johnson um is dead are non-traditional in terms of documentary format and what you tend to expect there's camera person you don't have a traditional narrative arc there's more just vignettes of these scenes that she's uh that she's filmed that have stuck with her um but i do love the way she plays with setups and payoffs and that you'll see some scenes early on that sort of just wash over you you don't really get right away they might be visually striking but you don't really get that impact until you come back to the scene and see the resolution and how something plays out for instance we see a boxing match where uh early on in the film we see the boxer as he's preparing to go into the ring and then maybe 40 minutes later we go back to that scene don't see any of the fight and see his reaction after just losing and the rage and you really for the first time start to think about the person behind the camera you think about the person in camera person and just everything that they're absorbing and processing and this movie really helped me realize that for the first time i think you know yeah i i think one of the more interesting aspects of that movie is kind of the psychological work you as a viewer are are doing and sort of like of all the footage in this woman's life that she sort of captured on camera because it, it the mo- that movie also does bring in some home movies and it, it is such this interesting collage that you're constantly thinking like what is it about this moment that sort of speaks to the woman who shot it and it you are so specifically like seeing the world through her eyes because the camera is is sort of acting as that vessel and 
that that's i think to me where that movie kind of gets so much of its kind of emotional power is you sort of getting these these little vignettes like you said that sort of add up to this lifetime of experiences that mean something to that specific person and as the camera is sort of like you know maybe zooming in on an object or a person in particular you're you're knowing in your head that that is something that is sort of captured the imagination or the attention of this particular woman and why is that and what is that saying about her as an individual and how she sees the world um you know i as you mentioned both these movies are very very um non-traditional and i think kirsten johnson is one of the more interesting documentary filmmakers we have currently working now because she seems so intent on kind of blowing up the idea of what we consider a documentary you know the right. idea that camera person is a, a, a video collage essentially and it's an outtake reel to some people yeah and it is in a sense a movie about her and her life but told through the images that she has captured and dick johnson is dead is this very heartfelt often very funny ode to her father that is both sort of capturing him in all of his wonder and humor and innocence kind of just and warmth yes and especially warmth just kind of going through um this this experience of sort of beginning to to deal with dementia and what that means is you're kind of like you know becoming more and more forgetful and kind of like winding down your life and but she's also mixing it in with these pre-orchestrated sequences of him <laughs> being killed which i found like a really um uh, th they are often both like really funny but i think there is something to me that's very very moving about them in that they feel like her kind of trying to work through and and normalize something that feels very scary and existential to most people like the the idea of as, as someone who has this is where we're going to get like really uh <laughs> serious and emotional on this podcast but you know like yeah. i'm someone who's had both of my parents have passed on by now and the idea of your parent dying is just like this crazy outsized idea i mean like the one of the i think best visual equivalents of that on screen is paul thomas anderson talking about the the scene of the frogs raining in um magnolia and saying that the inspiration for that was not the book of exodus as everyone sort of <laughs> immediately thought but actually this idea to him that it's just like yeah when your parent is dying or your parent dies it's it's almost as crazy as like frogs falling from the sky i mean this is a person that has raised you and has been such a integral part of your life for so many years and the idea of them just going away your mind just cannot process that and mm -hmm. i found all the kind of orchestrated deaths in this documentary to be a really fun and really 
powerfully emotional way of her kind of working through like let let me see if i can kind of normalize this or or humorize this in a way that it's going to make me feel better and make this feel like a more grounded is sort of the wrong word but but something more tangible and something that's sort of easier to process emotionally if she can do all these like crazy orchestrated stunts of like i'm thinking of the one construction guy who like has a metal beam and accidentally swings it the wrong way and it hits her dad and this just like huge arterial spray of blood goes everywhere and seeing and it it is goofy and over the top but also seeing kind of the joy he gets out of it or you know to me the most emotional scene in the movie is they she gives you this whole sequence of her father's funeral and then as it's winding down cuts to her father actually hasn't died and they basically put on this whole funeral for him so that he could experience what it was like of like that this is everything that we will do for you when you die. And this is how much you mean to all these different people. And to sort of see his kind of look of surprise and just warmth and love is, is, I don't know. I just found this like a very, not just a very funny movie, but also like very, um, warm and very hopeful and and just incredibly emotional in a, a movie that feels like this woman kind of actingly work actively working through these fears about possibly losing a parent um i don't know what what was sort of your emotional journey watching it i know you said you watched it this morning and you immediately texted me that you you were just like a puddle <laughs> of tears afterwards yeah i, I was a, a puddle like at many points throughout and i'll, I'll definitely touch on some of those specific moments um, I think this film works, it definitely works on its own, but as a companion piece with camera person, it definitely enhances some aspects because it, it, it feels like, especially after rewatching camera person so recently that Kirsten Johnson saw this footage that she had of her mother and so much of it was post Alzheimer's diagnosis and just wasn't the same person that she remembered as her mother growing up and that was all that she had and then yeah let's also talk about the genetic hand that she's been dealt both parents are Mm -hmm. were diagnosed with alzheimer's um the anxiety i'm sure that creates especially having gone through that once having to go through it a second time but also how kind of strangely fitting that her career she's a camera person and she spends her life recording things when uh, the biggest challenge in her life is the loss of memory and people disappearing. Um, mm-hmm. So that's just like packs an extra punch for me. But I also feel like the film is almost like an an excuse for her uh, to prepare herself for her dad's inevitable death. You know, um, I, I was, as I was watching it and as I actually read um, some of her thoughts on the making of the film and when they're shooting and putting together all these fake death scenes and thinking like, I don't really know what we're, what we're making yet. And I'm, and as I'm watching, I'm thinking, I don't really know what purpose these are serving yet. But um, to me, ultimately, I think it's about desensitizing herself and demystifying the idea of death. And like you said, that sort of impossible to grapple with thing of everyone will die. So that means your 
parents will too. Um, and just how, how tough it is to see them go through that, but also just how, how powerful it is. It, this, it's definitely going to be on my top 10 list uh, at the end of the year. Um, it's just, it was extremely powerful. I thought. Yeah, I think definitely up there with um, the documentary Boys State that's on uh, Apple TV Plus. That is, is just I think flat out one of the the best documentaries I've seen so far this yeah. year. Um, you know, I think we both mentioned that Johnson has this incredible kind of outside the box approach to documentary filmmaking. And I don't, what are some other recent documentaries or documentary filmmakers that you think are kind of on her level as maybe sort of like blowing up the idea of what we expect from a documentary? I, I know one, one of the people for me that I, I kind of think of in regard is Joshua Oppenheimer with um, his, his movies he did in uh, Indonesia, uh, in particular, The Act of Killing. Uh, which if, if you've just never seen is I, I I think similar to Dick Johnson is dead is kind of this mesmerizing, but I would say much, much darker and much more haunting, but th this kind of mesmerizing blending of kind of fact and fiction and what is real and what is not. And what do the sort of um, fictional things we act out say about us as people um, so the, the, you know, the subjects in that movie are these, um, deaths, former death squad leaders that have, you know, spent their lives kind of executing people on this mass scale during this horrible genocide that happened in Indonesia during the 1960s and Joshua Oppenheimer basically like asking them to reenact that stuff and to make their own movie about the things that they did and, you sort of learning so much about the kind of warped kind of messed up psychology and the lies that people tell themselves through how they are choosing to kind of remember and reenact this stuff that, that that's another, you know, and Oppenheimer is another one of those people that I think like Johnson is sort of blowing up the idea of what a documentary can be. And it doesn't necessarily have to be this kind of talking head uh you know educational sort of thing but it can be this sort of fun blur between the the real and the imagined and that sometimes truth can exist in this sort of larger idea beyond what is the kind of tangible reality in front of you i don't know are there any other documentary filmmakers like them that you feel like are kind of blowing up the medium at the moment um, have you seen Bloody Nose, Empty Pockets this year? I have not. So I feel like this has been one that I haven't heard people talking about that much. Um, but it's it's sort of a, I don't know if you would call it a pseudo documentary, but it's about um, a, the last day of a, of a dive bar. And essentially... Oh, I, I uh, have heard about this. Yeah, could, yeah, definitely, definitely talk about it more. I have not seen it, but I it it has sounded totally fascinating from what everyone I know who have seen it has told me about it. So yeah, take this with a grain of salt because I, I don't know if I've got the complete accurate picture, but it seems to be that the scenario is sort of 
orchestrated or manufactured where it's the last day of this dive bar's operation and the people there are all ostensibly regulars patrons from all walks of life um coming there to as they do regularly to get drunk and forget about things so mm. it's like people i can't remember who said this about um sorkin's steve jobs movie um but he said it's incredible that none of that happened but it was all true <laughs> and so that's, uh sort of how this feels is even if um it's set up in a way the people are still being themselves and you're still going to get a a lot i got a lot of truth out of it it feels extremely honest and all these people even if they might be playing it up a little bit for the cameras feel extremely real and extremely honest so that's one that I recommend, I think it's directed by the Ross brothers. I, I'm not familiar with their other work, but I'd definitely be interested in um, checking out more. Uh, one other documentary that I, I love bringing up because I also saw this within the last year or so is uh, Leviathan. Have you seen that documentary? I have. So this, this is one that's hard, a little hard to recommend, but um, essentially just takes place on a uh, deep sea fishing boat or trawling boat it is a little hard to describe i, I will <laughs> sort of that, that's part of the reason i just like i said i have and then stopped was like <laughs> good good luck with him of like trying to explain because it is such an experiential movie that i think it is it is kind of hard to sort of like pitch it to someone but do your best <laughs> so just imagine that you strapped a bunch of GoPros <laughs> to some deep sea fishermen and just compiled all that footage in a enigmatic miasma of picture and sound that depicted a fishing boat as a giant organism that is churning life from the sea and spitting out the waste back into it. It's It's very visceral and experiential is that's probably the best like they're describing it hopefully you want to see it now you can take that I would, to yourself i would describe it as <laughs> deadliest catch but without the the talking heads or narration and through the prism of like a dark metal song it, that, that that's kind of <laughs> to me the sort of experience of of watching that movie but yeah i think that's that's another good one to sort of point out of like that movie just sort of immerses you in the experience of commercial fishing. And I, you know, I, I've seen a lot of people bring it up as a movie about maybe some of the negative aspects of that industry. Um, but I, I think just sort of like, instead of having all these talking heads kind of tell you about, Oh, we like, pick this fish up here this is our sort of <laughs> fishing strategy and all this it's it's literally just like strapping cameras on the things and it's just like you are absorbed with kind of the sights and sounds of being on that boat um yeah that's and that's another really it is good very thing. graphic yeah <laughs> yes uh a lot of uh do not recommend having it while or do not recommend watching it while you're having breakfast or um lunch or what I, I remember i was like eating while i watched it and was like oh, i'm gonna turn this off and finish this later 
Well, going back to, I mean, do you have any other thoughts about Dick Johnson is dead before we kind of wrap it up here in a bit? I could probably ramble about it for <laughs> for hours and hours, but I guess maybe I'll just talk about some of those moments that I found especially impactful and see if if you felt the same or had some that you wanted to mention. But there's moments uh, that really, because you really do feel for this guy, he is so warm and you see just how like loving their relationship is and you you feel bad because he's just so going through this taking it all in stride but like there are moments when you do see the cracks and you see how he's really feeling like when they they talk about um selling his car right before because they're gonna move him from across the country and i've listened uh, i've listened in with so many conversations about that that was i agree with you that's a moment that like really hit home for me and i think you really see kind of his warring emotions as he realizes like this is for the best but i'm i'm gonna i hate that i can't drive anymore and i i've seen that exact look on basically every single one of my grandparents faces at some Mm -hmm. point in time so I, i i think that's a moment that i think will ring true for a lot of people watching it because i i know i have just heard that conversation about 18 times in my life between different parents and aunts and uncles having to have that conversation with grandparents and them sort of realizing it needs to happen but also the the look of terror in their eyes of knowing that this this means that they are sort of physically winding down. Um, I don't know. I, I agree. That's a really like beautiful moment. And it might be important to uh, point out that we both, I think are fairly positive on the film that I think some people, some reviews that I've read um, find it maybe uncomfortable, exploitative. And I guess I can sort of see where those people are coming from. But I think the, the importance of the honesty that I see on screen and some might, argue that what I see as honesty, they might view as performative in some way. Um, but I, I just think that I saw a lot of truth in it. And if it's able to soften hearts that might be hard about an issue that is so real, but isn't talked about a lot and that taking care of our parents and our elderly everyone essentially will have to deal with that at some point or they're going to be the person being taken care of and it's just a reality that i think needs to be explored and i think um if documentaries can be a vehicle for empathy i think this is a a great example of that and i I hope that that's what happens uh being a, a netflix film it films like this sometimes feel like they go to netflix to uh to die um so i hope that maybe some people will stumble across this that might not have um before people who haven't heard of it uh and they might get something out of it like we have yeah i would definitely agree with you i'm i'm very high on it and i i i would find you know i'm sure there are people out there who find it exploitive but i i don't know that just seems like such a weird take to me of i think just every moment is just so full of love. And I I think as, as you mentioned, I think it's, it's so clear that this is 
above all else, I think a celebration of her father and a celebration of his life and what he means to not just her, but the the people around him. And I don't know, to, to me, like I, I would assume that any other filmmaker kind of trying to make a movie about dementia and about sort of what it's like to watch a, a parent kind of mentally sort of recede into themselves. Um, I don't know. I I just think like what you would get would be like a more, you know what I mean? Like it would be this, <laughs> it, or I'm trying to think of what's the, the movie that um, Julianne Moore won an Oscar for that. I cannot remember the name of the title was Still but she basically, yes. Where she gets Alzheimer's and you, it's just like two hours of just how horrible that is. And right. I, I don't know. There just seems to me, something so kind of creative and freeing and kind of inspiring about someone choosing it would be so easy to make that kind of documentary and have it be this sort of like emotionally draining experience of watching this woman just sort of document her father just sort of mentally decline over the years but i mm-hmm. i find it just so much more um I don't know, it, it, inspiring and emotional to s- sort of put her hand up and say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do something that is kind of a celebration of him and showcases his humor and his personality through this disease and how that is something that is beyond what he is kind of mentally and physically able to do and create this sort of living document about him before he is kind of lost in a way um i don't know i just i just found that just very it's weird that it doesn't strike me as exploitive at all it just just strikes me as loving and just the most pure way of i want to capture the essence of this person and sort of their their free personality before it it goes away and do something to that i guess just show her love to him so yeah that's i agree i think inspiring is a good word i think you said that earlier and that's how i felt after watching it was it's one of those movies where after it's over it makes you want to call the people that you love and talk to them hear their voice yes definitely well i think that wraps us up for this week uh jordan thank you so much for stopping by uh we'll definitely have you again uh it coming up in the next week we we got we got some busy next few weeks um we will be talking here soon we're gonna have a sorkin episode because we got a new aaron sorkin movie on the way as well as a remake of alfred hitchcock's rebecca so i'm sure we are going to be doing a fun episode both revisiting the alfred hitchcock original as well as talking about the new uh remake by ben wheatley so wherever you find podcasts like click subscribe leave us a rating leave us some suggestions some comments and stay tuned for more fun